As for write what you know, I was regularly told this as a beginner. I think it's a very good rule, and I've always obeyed it. I write about imaginary countries, alien societies on other planets, dragons, wizards, the Napa Valley in 22002. I know these things. I know them better than anybody else possibly could, so it's my duty to testify about them. I got my knowledge of them as I got whatever knowledge I have about the hearts and minds of human beings, through imagination, working on observation. Like any other novelist, all this rule needs is a good definition of no. Ursula K. Le Guin from the essay on Rules of Writing. Hello, welcome to StoryCraft, brought to you by the Pioneer Library System. I am Amanda. And I'm Zach. Thank you for joining us today. We hope we encourage you to create your stories. So write what you know. Yes. What do you think about that? As advice? Yeah. I think it's the advice, like your quote said, it's what you always hear when you're getting started. Write what you know. Yeah. And I think that's because it can be very hard for beginning storytellers to access, and maybe access isn't the right word, engage with things that they don't know um in the sense of like well how am i supposed to write about this if i have no idea how it works you know i i don't even i want to be authentic i want to be true to to the story i'm trying to tell it's hard to be authentic if you don't know these things right and i think that's really the the point right is seeking authenticity Mm -hmm. you just fall back on right what you know what you know some things so fall on fall back on that so i've i'm kind of a couple of minds on this because i think it is sound advice, mm-hmm. but um, I have been reading a little bit about this, and a lot of writers were like, you know, when they teach this, when they teach writing, they get a lot of um, young writers who turn in things that are basically autobiographical because they take that so literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and it's a little bit more than that. And so I started looking into like, what do like really successful writers feel about that advice? And they're kind of all over the place. So I really liked that quote by Ursula Le Guin. And that's kind of, I probably shouldn't have started with that because it's kind of really where I ended up on this whole <laughs> topic. Buried, you didn't bury the lead. You put yeah. the lead right up front. <laughs> right? Yeah. It just was the best quote to kind of wrap it all up. So um, yeah, it's some that were like, you know, don't, don't write what you know, write, um, write what you want to know. Mm. So yeah, that was Dan Brown. I really liked what he said about that because, you know, his novels I think are really great and Mm well-researched and he clearly follows that advice. So I think that that's, that's also a really good one to, to follow is don't necessarily write what you already know, but write what you want to know and then use that book Mm -hmm. to propel you. (laughs) That's really good advice too, because it's the impetus to grow, not just as an author or a creator or a storyteller, but also just kind of as a person, right? Yeah. You're always learning. You're always taking in new information. And by figuring out how to put that on the page or on the paper or on the canvas or wherever, mm-hmm. you are kind of, then you're engaging with it. Then mm-hmm. you are figuring out how to be useful with it. Yeah. But I do think it's, I think it's, we can all agree that it is important to know mm-hmm. what you're writing. Absolutely. Yeah. You need yep. to, in some way, you need to be familiar enough with, with what you're writing, whether you have experienced it or have just created it out of your own imagination to such a degree mm-hmm. that it's authentic and it's real for you, or if you've sought it out through research. So, um, 
I in in my reading, I was reading through this um, one Hoopla ebook that we have. It's called Writing Fiction by Heather Wright, hmm. and she was saying that she hated that piece of advice. And so she, as a younger person, sat down and made a list of all the things she knows. Mm-hmm. I think because she was trying to prove that it was really bad <laughs> advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And um, that she ended up thinking that that was really helpful. Oh, interesting. So um, I, I kind of think we should do that. Okay. Do you want to do that? Yeah, let's take a run at it. Okay. So in, in thinking about this, I don't want to sit down and write a list of things we know. Because <laughs> when I was thinking about that, this is going to sound kind of bad, but it turns out I know quite a lot. <laughs> well, you're a very intelligent person, Amanda. That doesn't surprise me. Well, I'm old, I think well, is the point. You're well read. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, you know, it's like you, you gain so much mm-hmm. useful knowledge through, yeah, life experiences and stuff. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, I could fall back on that. But really, do you really need a list of all the things that you know? Sure. No, I don't really think that's practically useful. So I was thinking, well, how could you take that advice? Because I think there's there's room for that. Um, so how could we take that advice and make it and make it a little bit more practical? Right. So I was thinking, you know, if you're writing a story about a a little kid, mm-hmm. okay, then you're going to want to spend a little bit of time thinking about the sorts of things that you were really familiar with and that you experienced as a little kid. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to ask you um, to share with us things you knew at different stages. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to also ask you things. So when you think about things you know, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like, well, I guess we really haven't talked about what, what do we mean when we say, what, what do you know? Like, what do you think about when you say, when we say, what do you know? When, when I hear the phrase, what do you know? The, what I think is, what have my experiences been Yeah. that I am, boy, <laughs> it's hard to say that without becoming a tautology, right? Because I want to say that I know, but I think about what have my experiences been that I could explain to someone or that I could relate to someone in such a way that they could gain the picture I want them to get from that information, so I think for me, when, I, when we say write what you know, what I know is really only defined by how I can transmit it right. to someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like um, if I said um, we were going to write a story mm-hmm. about um, some, you know, some Parisians. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've never been to Paris. Have you? Uh, no. Okay. So there's no. a, there's a lot there and I've right. never met Parisians. It's a big city. Yeah. I speak French or I used to, I probably couldn't speak a whole lot of it now, but I, um, you know, like yeah. I've studied, I've studied it. I've studied the culture, you know, in a classroom, but I've never been there right. and I don't know anybody from Paris. Um, so I don't know the place. I don't know the people and i don't yeah so that's kind of it's, it, it it's the ex- hard specific experiences but it's also like the environment mm-hmm. um and the place and so yeah it would be hard to write something authentic that's if we it. Were going yes. to. yeah because you could definitely get the the trappings of it i'm sure like we've all yeah. seen 
Eiffel Tower in every window, right? Sure. I watched Emily in Paris like three times over quarantine. Right, you know? right. I, yeah, <laughs> but that would be such a shallow rendition. Yeah. It would be, it would be, and that would be very clear. It would come across a page. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the, uh, the, the portrait image of, yeah. Right. And that's not what we want to do for if we're going to really write something. You really want to. So we could take Dan Brown's advice and fly off to Paris and stay there for a while. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that Hope. would that would be a you know a good excuse to visit. If we had Dan Brown's budget, we could take Dan right? Brown's advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, too bad we're going to have to stick to stories about Norman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but um, so that's kind of one thing that I wanted to just um, expand upon is mm-hmm. say, when I say write what you know, um, I mean like specific experiences like falling off your bike sure. and really what is that like? Right. Okay. The whole, like, I know when I, I remember falling off my bike, I know exactly how I got hurt Yeah, yeah. and all of the emotional side, like it was embarrassing because the neighborhood kid saw me and it was because I was clumsy and I wasn't very good at it. And I, the gravel on the road got mm-hmm. stuck in my knee and yeah, the whole thing, the, the, the richness of that whole experience. So there's like the emotional side and the physical side of it and um, all of that. And then also like the places that we know. So like all of the weird places we've visited. So we've all been to really kind of cool places. Mm-hmm. And those are things we know too. Mm-hmm. So they're not just actual experiences. So um, that's what I'm going to ask you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, can you share with us... Mm-hmm. Um, three to three to five, whatever you feel comfortable with, um, things, you know, mm-hmm. uh, places, you know, places I know. Okay. okay. From like a small town that you've been to. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up in a small town, so it's okay. right in my wheelhouse. Okay, great. Um, three things I know for three places I know from a small town, mm-hmm. grain bins, the, the grain elevator, Okay. I know all about grain elevators, like how to be careful when you're around them. Are you familiar with the grain elevator? No. So it's, I almost said it's exactly what it sounds like, but it's not. That would have been a lie. So uh, this is a, it's in, it's in the town. It's not yeah. like in a rural in area. Well, it is. They have them everywhere. Okay. You know, um, I'm sure there are a bunch just around Norman and Oklahoma city and stuff too. Uh, relics of, a distant past or maybe not. I, yeah. I don't know this. Uh, it, it is for lack of, it, it's just where you store grain. So okay. like during harvest, farmers have to take their grain somewhere. Um, so they either store it in their own grain bins or they take it to the community grain bins, which is the grain elevator. And okay. at the grain elevator, they like weigh it. They'll uh, test it for moisture. They'll like determine how much you have, what kind of grain it is. Um, they'll write you like a receipt or a ticket or something for it and then they'll hold on to it. And then that's kind of your gateway into selling it uh-huh. on the market. Sure. So you basically call in the grain elevator and say, hey, we have X number of bushels. Prices hit whatever this morning. We would like to sell X number of those bushels. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all there is to it. Okay. Um, it does sound like an interesting yeah. location. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because during har- uh, harvest, you know, You've got lines of semis backed up on the highway for miles as people like trying to get in and out and everybody is going at the same time and time is of the essence. Uh, If you are like working there, a lot of it is like moving around and, you know, 
uh, unloading semis or like moving machinery and fans around to keep grain dry or like tarping stuff or trying to keep it protected from the weather if it's open yeah. air. So, so it's really just a processing center, like yeah. the first stage of a processing center. Cool. Yeah. 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 That totally belongs in a story. It's like, very yeah. cool. Neat. Yeah. Neat. Okay. Thanks. That would be my first one. And okay. Because I, I have a lot of fond memories of like sitting in the cab of my dad's semi, like while we waited our turn to unload our grain and mm-hmm. then they'd come and like bring you like a Mountain Dew or something mm-hmm. to keep you happy. And yeah, it was cool. good times. Cool. Um, I think the second one would probably be, we had a little, I guess it's a little by the standards of most places. Like I never thought it was a little growing up because it was all I knew, but like an actual grocery store. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe the size of like, like half the size of a checkers or something, you know, maybe 10, 12 aisles total. Okay. Um, but like a little community grocery store that has like a tiny deli where you might go at lunch and like order your cheese sticks or something. Uh, but everybody worked there. It was the kind of place where you, the, there were adults in town who were checkers uh-huh. who like supported their families on that salary because it was the kind of place where you could actually have a career, you know? Uh, everybody wore bow ties. Um, <laughs> like, the, they wore yeah. little bow ties yeah. and stuff. A lot of my friends worked there in high school putting themselves through, you know, earning money and stuff. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a really special place. And it's still there. It got... Uh, when the owners retired, they, like, sold it to, like, a bigger kind of chain type it's of thing. Yeah. But until then, it was, you know, all community-owned, right. local. right. And it was like right in the center of town. So it was very, you know, it was the hub. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, let's meet at Williams. Right. You know, Williams Brothers Grocery Store. Right. Um, and I still, I think a lot of people still call it that. It hasn't been that for like five years yeah. now. But yeah, that's uh, that's a big one. And every time like they would renovate it or they would like put new stucco and it's like, oh, what's going on at Williams? Oh, yeah. oh my. And it was like a block from the school. It was two blocks from the high school. It was like next door to the bank, across the street. Like everything mm-hmm. is just right there. It was the, hell, it was the, really is in the very center of town. Yeah. Well, it's the place everyone goes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Too. yeah. Uh, and you would, that was kind of where you would go like during the week and just catch up with people in the sense yeah. of while you're doing your shopping, everybody else is doing their shopping and that's kind of where you just learn what's going on in town. Neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. They have a little uh, freezer like that opens up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They got the little <laughs> freezers that open up. They've got, uh, they had the one bathroom that was like a tiny room with one toilet in it. And yeah. that was the, the public restroom. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of use from that as a kid. And like thinking it was very scary because they never like changed the light bulbs. Oh, were always yeah, the, light, the yeah. lighting's terrible in those places. It's so yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. It was a really, a really cool place. That's, I guess, I think if we were saying, write what you know about that, it would definitely be about the community aspect and the idea of being able to always like, see people and like kind of know what's going on mm-hmm. in your town mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool yeah, thanks that's neat. uh and the third one if you have one i that's, yeah i mean there are a lot you know i think yeah. uh i'm trying to think of when i return the place that i spend a lot of time at is usually the lake um i think the whole walk around the lake is like maybe two miles maybe 1.75 like it's not very long mm-hmm. Uh, but it was empty most of my life. And when the drought ended, it's full again, or like it's full a lot, but it was also kind of a place where, you know, you would go and drive around the lake or you go for walks around the lake. If you didn't know what you were doing, you just go hang out. And it was just a really special place because, you know, it's like the community park type of event. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's what I would probably do for the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, how about a big city? Have you sure any places at a big city? Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably the biggest places city I've lived in was probably Milwaukee. I don't know how that compares to to like Oklahoma City or anything, but I've, I've lived in Milwaukee, uh, which is Algonquin for the good land. <laughs> it's really not. Um, <laughs> but I there's a brewery that I would go to all the time. Okay. Um, and it was called Black Husky Brewing. It was I think about a mile from maybe half a mile from my apartment. And I take my dog there after class every day and just like hang out, have a couple beers, read a book. And we would just like chill and then go home. And Mm -hmm. like, it was just a very like cool place to hang out and meet people and like just really enjoy the act of being part of a, of a diverse community Mm -hmm. with a lot of experiences. Yeah. Uh, another one, would be bookstores, right? Don't have bookstores in small towns, or if you do, they're usually kind of like hobby projects. Okay, yeah, used bookstores um, or something. Yeah, like a used bookstore. <laughs> um, really great bookstore that the name escapes me right now that we would go to a lot. And even though I kind of always say that the library is my bookstore because that's like, oh, I yeah. don't really buy books anymore. Yeah, sure. Um, it was still nice to like go and be able to like just be part of that and mm-hmm. like be part of that end of storytelling and creating and writing of like the commerce aspect of it of like well someone is getting paid for their creative output mm-hmm. and that always made me happy and it's a great place to go and hear authors speak you know mm-hmm. the the guy who wrote call me by your name the the book came and did like a signing there and like to hear him speak was really fun uh and then finally probably the art museum the milwaukee art museum i would go there all the time i was an intern there for a while and so like i got in free and i would just like on weekends, like go and just look at stuff and hang out. And it was just, again, similar vibe, right? You're like, well, I'm just going to go and I'm going to see what's out there. I'm going yeah. to kind of engage with this work. And even though it's stuff you've seen, a, you know, a dozen times, every time you go back to it, you might engage with it in a new way. Yeah. Um, and it's a really beautiful area. And again, it's that sense of like, there's people all around. That's, that was probably what I would, if I were writing big city stuff, it'd be like the idea of like, there's always people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that I really, really like. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank mm-hmm. you. You're welcome. All right. So now an eight-year-old. An eight-year-old. As a ch- like Think back to when you were eight. Being a child, second or third grade. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Um, the thing that I think about the most, I was, I was a quote-unquote good kid because my mom was a teacher at the same school <laughs> and it was a small town, so I couldn't get in trouble. And if I did anything wrong, I would hear about it. Uh-huh. And so like being cheated off of, that's an experience that I remember very distinctly. Okay. Um, and I remember being like, this isn't fair. I can't cheat. How can they can cheat? <laughs> and then I got over that as I got older. Okay. But, yeah. Being cheated off and like the, just the sense of unfairness yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. The injustice made you angry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can still remember that. <laughs> okay. Any other um, eight-year-old yeah. experiences oh, wow. that you tap into? Um, I think that's kind of... Right around the time when you start to like notice uh, social structures, right? Like the idea of like, oh, there are these people who are in charge, like, and this is how this family works is different than my family. So I think maybe that sense of, oh, wow, like Jeff like doesn't have like a mom at home or Jeff's mom 
doesn't work or something, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's just different than the way you've grown up. And like, I think you would probably know this better than me since you are a parent, Mm -hmm. but I feel like that's kind of around the time when you start to be able to like go and have sleepovers and stuff and, and do things at other people's houses. And so you really get to experience how other people live, how other Mm -hmm. kids are being brought up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 You remember noticing that that i I just remember noticing like oh this is much different yeah 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 i bet Mm. i kind of forgot that about that age (laughs) and i think probably the last thing if i had to say about i'm trying to think of like what is sticks out to me about being that age in that time in my life i think it would be the idea about of a I think that's also kind of the, the time when you start to notice that people are not all the same. Like, I feel like with my nieces and nephews, that's kind of when they start to be like, oh, there's, there's something different about like, maybe this person is a different, you know, ethnicity than I am, mm-hmm. or maybe they're a different gender than I am or something. And hmm. like, I think before that, it's all kind of like, we're kids. Yeah, we're yeah. kids. And I think like right then you start to notice like, oh, there's something different about this that's, person. That's probably accurate. Yeah, yeah. That's about when kids start thinking, you know boys think girls are icky and Mm -hmm. girls think boys are icky. Yeah, exactly. That's probably about right. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So 16 year old you, Mm -hmm. what are the things you knew as a teenager? Uh, The things I knew as a teenager. Besides everything, obviously. Yeah. No, I'm I'm kidding. I I know teenagers. Oh no, I did know everything. I was like you now. I was boy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I, I think as a 16 year old, I knew what it was like to, um, Hmm. That's the first age when you start to drive, right? Yeah. 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 For most people, like 14, 15, Mm -hmm. 16, kind of right in that area. I think that's kind of the first gateway to more responsibility, at least in my family. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take things seriously. Yeah. I think driving is sort of the the signifier for that. Well, yeah. yeah. So for for me, I don't want to interrupt. No, please. One thing I thought of is at 16, I... The, the what pops out for me is I knew how to change a tire at 16. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the reason that I think I thought of that is because there were other 16 year olds who didn't. Oh, sure. So I bet that's true for you. As that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember very distinctly like, learning how to change a tire because a t- when I stole my grandparents' car there, the tire went flat uh-huh. and my friends had to fix it. And I watched, so I would be like, I never want to be in this situation again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I had yeah. to change my tire at school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's <Yeah>, terrible. <laughs> exactly. And that's definitely, that's probably the most 16 y thing I could think of yeah, right there. Is yeah. You learn how to take care of things and yeah. be responsible. And you're on your own and mm-hmm. you're, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, let's come back to this in just a second. We're going to take a quick break for a word about some programs from the Pioneer Library System. Coming May 1st, 2021, Pioneer Library's Summer Learning Challenge. Read, complete activities, log your points to earn swag. With categories for children, teens, and adults, there is something for everyone with our Summer Learning Challenge. Visit pioneerlibrarysystem.org and use the My Learning link to learn more. And we're back. Those all sound really interesting. I can't wait to attend some of those programs. What were we talking about? <laughs> you were going to tell us some experiences as a 30-year-old. Oh. Or things you knew. Not, not necessarily experiences. 30. The things you knew. Mm-hmm. 
I remember, oh my gosh. Okay, I know, and maybe this is too esoteric. I know what it's like to uh, be unfulfilled. Ooh, it, yeah, I, yeah. I remember That's such a thirty-year-old thing. Yes, I remember very distinctly waking up on my thirtieth birthday and like walking my dog, and like looking out and thinking. By the time he was my age, Alexander had conquered the known world. <laughs> And I just like sat with that for a really long time. Like, wow, wow. And like the older I get, the more I learn about like, here's all these things that these people I really admire and look up to. They accomplish them in their like early 20s, you know. It's like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. Uh, so I think, yes, that experience of like being unfulfilled. Um, something else I know about being 30. I know what it is like to be on your own, like 100% on your own in mm -hmm. the sense of, well, I have to do everything today. I have to like clean for myself, cook for myself. I have to like find a place to live. I have to, you know, pay my own rent. I have to organize hospital visits. Like that is a very, I'm sure many people do that also in their twenties too. I think like for whatever reason, when I think of 30, that's something that comes to me is that sense of, we yeah. talk about responsibility. Balancing it all, balancing yes. real life. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure there are many people who, if they said, right, what you know about 30, it'd probably be about parenting or something. You know, my best friend was a parent, I think, four times over, three times over by the time he was 30. Um, and so, but yeah, I, I think that would be where I would go with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Life with a capital L. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then a third one, I think I would probably say, I know what it is like to... Uh, wreck a motorcycle like i think yeah. i never had like well. a bad wreck but when i turned 30 was also the when i decided i'm gonna finally buy my motorcycle mm -hmm. and boy i fell off that thing a lot yeah. like a lot a lot yeah and you talked earlier about <laughs> falling off the a bike, bike. Right? yeah very similar vibe except now it's all adults and they're all looking at you and it's like oh okay well mm. this isn't too much machine for me i promise i'm just not a good balancer yeah yeah i hope you didn't get injured nothing bad yeah good 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 <laughs> Well, I know that that was probably really <laughs> personal. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's good. I'm the talking cure. <laughs> but um, thank you. You're and welcome. that was exactly the sort of, um, I think, I don't know, meditation or just a list of, of ways to bring what we know into like what might apply to some characters mm -hmm. in our writing or some experiences in our writing. And um, in ways that it can bring some authenticity without having just writing an autobiographical story right. so thank you mm -hmm. <laughs> so i think that there's a, a correct way to do that to to write what you know and but taking it with the right with the with the correct <laughs> um perspective and and taking yeah. it to the correct degree or to a, a good degree but i certainly read plenty of authors that thought that that was just the worst piece of advice ever <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting because I, I, when we talked about doing this, I was thinking about like movies I really like. Mm -hmm. And I like a lot of movies that coincidentally have a screenwriter or writer as like the main character, you know, like there Do are, you? I just, it's uh, a lot of like these sort of like indie, like quiet movies that it's always like, you know, Greg Kinnear is a writer and he's trying to raise his kids and something like that. Or, or Hugh Grant is an aspiring writer or a musician or something like it's just always like, well, there's someone creative at the heart of it. 
and somebody who is trying to write something. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's very right. Well, you, you know, you know what it's like to be a writer trying to make something. Yeah. 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 I get that. We like <laughs> to see, we like to see some, I don't know, I guess some of our own experiences reflected back at us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. So, uh, kind of on opposite mm-hmm. end of that, um, I wanted to share a tip and trick. Okay. Tips and tips and tools. I couldn't remember what we call them. We call them tips, tips and tools. Tips and tools for today. Um, I went to a um, a visit with Neil Gaiman one time. Oh. I brag about this as often as I can, so I'm going to bring it up <laughs> okay. very often because Excellent. he's amazing. And one thing that he um, said is to ask yourself, what if? Okay. And That's very broad. Yes. Yeah. And that, that he said that that is really where he gets a lot of his ideas is just mm-hmm. to sit and ponder. Well, what if, what, what if, you know, and I think particularly if you go to like a public place, say if you're sitting in the park and you ask yourself, what if mm-hmm. that dog were plotting a revolution with those crows and you know, <laughs> That's a good one. You know, just I like that. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Um, or what if that, house were magnetized uh-huh. suddenly you know or the sidewalk became liquid and right we all fell into it or you know just into another dimension or something so um i i don't know i just thought that that's that's a really good exercise as well and mm-hmm. so um you know to to keep our imagination active you know remember neil gaiman's stories are incredibly imaginative sure. and that um you know just to be a little bit ridiculous and ask yourself i don't know what, what if, if? What if something really ridiculous happens? And That's good. Yeah. So hopefully that kind of balances our yeah. <laughs> discussion of authenticity and writing what we know. So a good way to exercise your imagination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so, do we have a prompt for our listeners? We we do have a prompt. This was this was sent to me from a friend. Okay, you're the town's superhero. Your greatest enemy is the town's, of course, supervillain. However, secretly, you're both brothers. <gasps> it's not anything tragic as your whole destructive rivalry is actually just a massive prank <laughs> on your third brother, who is the town's mayor. Oh, that's good. That's fun. So I think, of course, anyone who is a sibling can yeah. probably have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> that's got big Dr. Horrible energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. I like that. All right. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. Uh, if you make a story based off of that prompt, we'd love for you to share with us by emailing podcast at pioneerlibrarysystem.org with the subject line Story Crack. <laughs> <laughs> and we might read it on a future episode. Until next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.